The following episode of the 9pm edict contains politics, disturbing sexual imagery, and strong language. Not much strong language, which is unusual, but a really bad word right near the beginning, so beware of that. Hello, I'm Still Gary and it is Monday. It is a cloudy Monday afternoon, it is raining a bit, and I'm standing on the steps on Spring Street, Melbourne, the steps of Parliament House, and I'm about to go inside uh, because this is the 9pm probe with the remarkable Fiona Patton, MLC, leader of and sole elected member of the Reason Party, formerly the Australian Sex Party. Now, Ms Patton has been on this podcast before in a Public House Forum episode back in October uh, 2016. You should check it out. It was a great episode, uh, but I'm a bit scared because, sure, we spoke about serious things like uh, voluntary assisted dying. It's a conversation that we all have to have. Uh, and science. We spoke about science. Come on, we're going to talk about Dildonic's microphone. Yes. Quick. Yes. <laughs> Get your head up. Okay, okay, that bit wasn't so serious, but then it turned into this sort of thing. No. You know, we should be saying Mandela's a cunt. Exactly. Uh, but on the plus side, um, we haven't been drinking today, or at least I haven't been drinking. Is that a plus side? I don't know. Anyway, um, in we go. Sunday, the 1st of March 2020. Episodes of the 9pm probe like this one go deeper and in this episode we go deeper with Fiona Patton, MLC. You'll hear about all the disasters happening in the world right now. Sci-fi could not make this shit up. About the last days of religious dominance. This is their last hurrah, isn't it? They really are. They've lost the war. About the cannabis industry. It's probably around $2 billion for the cannabis annual annual cannabis industry turnover in Victoria. And much more. This conversation was recorded in Melbourne on Monday the 24th of February. Enjoy. This is Fiona Patton, one of the members of this house. Hello, nice to meet you all. Yes, please. Ah, we've encountered a tour in group Australia? in the Legislative Council okay. chamber itself. You don't. No. Yes. Yeah, I do remember that on a daily basis. Good of you. Yes, thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you thank as you. well. Enjoy your time here. Bye-bye. See you. Bye bye. Yes. Always on the hustings, always looking for a vote. Well, even, even with absolutely, you know, even with foreigners, <laughs> even with foreigners, they may become citizens. <laughs> you never know; they might like the country so much they'll live here. You know, isn't it splendid? This is a fantastic uh, chamber. It yeah. is. I, I tweeted before that I'm arriving at the place, and someone I, misread it as the palace. I, I, I saw that. Well, yeah, and really, this is a bit of a palace. It is magnificent. I know. And I mean, this was built when, this was built in 1856, when Melbourne was the richest city in the world. Yes. Second, wasn't it? 
I think we. I, I think it was London's. No, 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 no. Don't listen to what they say. Don't listen to what they say. We were the richest. <laughs> Two tons of gold a week. I know that much. Well, and all the population gold. went up half a million in ten years. Yes, and all the gold that you see in here actually is gold. So, and we imported all of these amazing Italian sculptors and workmen um, to do all the, the plaster work in here. Yeah, <coughs> and it's. Yeah, I mean, and all it took was exploiting labour and a little bit of genocide. Yes, I mean, look, I, I mean, we don't really remember that in here, but what I notice is there's a lot of naked breasts and um, and tiny little naked pooties. Okay, I've seen the tiny little naked pooties because there's cherubs. Yes. Two of them on the side of every. Every. Light. Oh, further up. And further up. Further up. Yeah. There. Well, they're angels of justice, aren't they? They've well, got there's a variety. We've got angels of justice, um, of building and design. Um, I can't remember what they all mean. I know the one with the chain. That was supposed to be to break the shackles of servitude. So, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But... <laughs> When this became, this became the federal parliament in 1901. Oh, of course, yes. When, when in the 1926-27, when they moved out, um, they gave it a coat of paint and fixed a few things up and they saw that broken chain and thought, oh, we'll fix that up. So that's good. I don't know how we broke that, but they fixed the chain. So now I think it's the angel of security or something oh, okay. like that. It's had, we've had to change its name. We talked about... Um security theatre last time we spoke we and did. in 2016 October 2016 we might come back to that in a minute we can swan around in here all afternoon but should we record in your office because there's another tour group coming through. yes well we might let them come through yes I think we might I might take you to the members dining room which I can do because there's no members here today oh lovely mm. right then <laughs> <laughs> let's go through there oh you're not allowed to touch the throne no, no. Um, ah, only the governor. Fact, only the governor and her mansion there. Exactly, only her representatives. I'm an acting president, so I actually oh, okay. get to I get to sit in Just the in presidential of... chair. Yes, but no, you can't sit in the queen's chair. I think that. I fair. mean, I would never do such a thing. No, and I'm sure you never. Never, have. never. Never, no. never. Another woman no, none past, of us. she's shaking her head to, she hasn't. No, she has hasn't never sat in sat the Queen's in the chair. Because, I mean, that would get you into all sorts of trouble. Yes. Yes. No, avoid that at all costs. There's a story, and I've heard it from both parties, mm. uh, that on the Speaker's chair in the South Australian Parliament, uh, a journalist and a rent boy were doing lines of coke off the Speaker's chair. That doesn't surprise me, and I think we've certainly had um, in the old federal parliament. Um, there was the speaker, um, well, reignited the passion with his soon-to-become ex-wife right. um, on that chair. On the speaker's chair? On or the speaker's or in the chair. upper house president? Speaker's chair. I think it was the speaker's chair. Was it or was it Senate chair? No, I think we'll, it was the we'll speaker's chair. We'll look that chair. up later. We'll, we'll Google that, yeah. All <laughs> inappropriate activity that has happened in Parliament. Okay, this is the first correction to a few mis misrememberings in this podcast. This story is true. It was in 1983. It was Federal Minister John Brown and his wife Jan Murray 
but it wasn't in one of the chambers. They did it on the desk of former Prime Minister John Curtin. And Ms Murray uh, left her calling card there in the desk, namely her lingerie. Link on the podcast website. And of course here, you know, we're famous for the black rod going missing. Oh, that's right. So, you know, one late that night, it there? That's, that's, it there. that's a replica ah. of the missing rod. So um, the black rod, gee, that goes back to the British Parliament, doesn't it? It does. He's, yeah. he's the chap, or she, if it's a chap. I think there's a woman we doing have a, bla- we do. black we rod have a, here we and have a in the UK at the moment, I yes, think. Yes, well, our, our, ro- yeah. our um, usher is, is a female now. But that's to keep the, the, the commoners, un- i.e. I, you lot, that's under, right. under control. Not yes. so much the House of Lords in the UK, obviously, because they're respectable. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> yes, unlike us, unlike us. Um, but yes, and of course, someone stole the black rod. Yes. And you know, there's there's many rumours about where it found its where it found itself. But there's still a reward out for anyone who actually does find it. Oh, it's still missing. It's still missing. It was understood that it ended up in Madame Brussels, which was one of the local brothels. What? But I don't know. See symbols of power that are long and thin. No, no. It's, it's, know, it's... It's, but, Every time you say, what about that rumour, they say, well, it ended up at Madame Brussels. So whether it was the rumour that, you know, this parliament got the first telephone and Madame Brussels got the second. Okay, this one's a bit more complicated. Something did go missing, but it was the mace, not the black rod. So I'm not quite sure what we were looking at. Uh, It went missing in 1891, and yes, there is still a reward out, $50,000 in fact. Uh, There's a really solid feature about uh, the missing mace uh, at Junkie, and they say, according to the newspapers, a drunken group removed the mace from its cabinet and headed to a brothel with it. And there it was used in what have been variously described as low travesties of parliamentary procedure, less than proper parliamentary proceedings, and fearful orgies. Uh, And yes, the brothel was called Madame Brussels. She was Carolyn Hodgson. She ran a number of... uh, establishments, uh, but the main one was right across the road from Parliament House. Uh, these are both amazing stories, so uh, check out the links. Or <laughs> that there is secret tunnels under this building and they all go to Madame Brussels. <laughs> There's always rumours of secret tunnels and things like that. Although the New South Wales Parliament, there is a tunnel under Macquarie Street, to under the, under the hospital, or actually nearby. There's actually under... Near, under Macquarie Street, yeah. a whole um, air raid shelter with a hospital uh, in it. Well, I'll take you to the tunnels here. We, we have underground sort of tunnels here, but um, they store politicians at the moment. I mean, they used to store coal and hay for horses. But now we but, burn politicians. But we pop politicians the down there, which um, I'm very pleased my office is not down there. Uh, just for the record, uh, Ms. Patton did not take me down into the tunnels. Disappoint. If you look at um, you know, most of Parliament House in Canberra is effectively underground. Yes, although, I've been down in those yes, bowels of the, the place. It's that's enormous. Right. It's massive. It's massive. I and probably shouldn't have been down there because 
I, I was escorted. I wasn't, I wasn't loose in the basement of Parliament And House. it was probably before they kind of got concerned about that sort of thing. You know, in the days when you used to be able to actually just walk into the Parliament. Yes. You know. And do lines of coke. And do lines of coke, that's right. Well, not to say that that doesn't still happen. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know either, obviously. Well, this is uh, the members' dining room. No, this is strangers. Oh, no. So this is where we let strangers in. Right. Um, welcome, Stilgarian. Welcome Thank you very to much, strangers. Um, but you said this... Nothing strange. Um, <laughs> some would dispute that, but um, Karen being the manager of strangers would know yes whether there was anything well, I mean, strange the public going can on be strange and look much as we love the public and of course they do yeah, vote for you occasionally yes this is very well it, it, victoria classic victorian era tea room isn't it it is and built in and as you can see classically set up for high tea um very popular but this was, this was gifted to us by Westminster. Um, oh, of course. As a thank you for holding, for, you know, hosting the, the Australian Parliament. So when, right. so when the Australian Parliament moved to Canberra, Westminster or the British government said, you really should have your own strangers because strangers, the strangers corridor comes from the Westminster, um, mm. from mm. Westminster where they have one. So... Yes, so we built our own strangers. And it is in a corridor. And it is in a corridor. Didn't have to be because that was the outside of the, probably the outside of the building. So there was probably no need. But they did design it as a corridor. And so yes, when Parliament's not sitting, anyone's welcome in here. When Parliament's sitting, um, MPs can bring strangers in, and so we're allowed to bring people in here. And then this going into the more Hogwarts section of the of the building. <laughs> Um, this is actually the members' dining room. Oh yes. And when Parliament chairs are much more grand with carved yep, heads. That's right, and you can see up and down leather. Yep, and you can see there's little tables, and they're all the different schools. As in, there's the Greens table. I think that's the Nats Nationals table. Um, oh no! This no, is Labor's no sharing table. with the cool people oh, no. the, the, in the cafeteria. No, no. No, so they're very clicky, very clicky indeed. So does that mean you're the sole member of the Reason Party here? That means you're stuck in the corner by yourself? I hang out with the strangers. Okay. I find I have a lot more fun hanging out with the strangers <laughs> than, than hanging out in here. Um, but Makes yes, sense. as an independent, yeah, we don't really, I don't really have my own table. Or, they so did, did the actually make a table. Together, yeah? On Thursday nights we do. So on Thursday nights. Payday. Yes. Payday <laughs> Well, end of parliamentary sitting. Yes. So when we get out, we all go out into the back... Well, in the summer months, we go out into the back balcony and um, join each other for this, some wine, maybe? Uh, um, I've heard that could happen. Yeah. Beverages of some sort. I'm yeah. sure there are some non-alcoholic ones there. But the thing is, that, I mean, independents are always such a mixed bag. I, I mean, know. they're they're... Independents are generally across the full extremities oh. of the political spectrum and I was about to say sanity levels in some parliaments, obviously well, not this one. There's 11 of us um, representing eight political parties. And yes, 
We are all very different and you have like the Animal Justice Party and the Shooters and Fishers. It's, you know, it's probably quite a broad church. If you're going to include shooters, fishers and farmers yes. into one party, it is quite a broad church. And we just have the one here. And uh, he has a fairly um, targeted, for want of a better word, targeted focus on duck shooting. Ah, uh, yes. Because we still allow duck shooting in Victoria. And it's a big thing with the protests each year going down. Every year. Yeah. Um, and I think we're, we're almost one of the only states, I think Tasmania and Victoria are pretty much the only states that allow duck shooting on public lands. In the rest of the country, they've said, well, if you want to shoot ducks, you know, do it on your own land. Mm. Um, we can't stop you from doing that. But here we still allow State park, state forests. We still allow shooting in state forests and on crown land. And um, yeah, it's when and there's a big argument at the moment. And given that what we're estimating, we've lost one billion anim animals in the last bushfires. And yes. They're fighting, and we've been through droughts and we've been through fires. And they're saying we want to have free range in shooting. Hopefully, the ducks that we plan to shoot but shooting you know objects out of the sky not objects animals out of the sky yeah. uh. well uh that bit about not drinking didn't last very long uh, <laughs> fiona has taken me into uh, uh oh, miss Patton mlc has taken me into the members dining room yes which is pretty damn schmick and I have a glass here labelled with Parliament of Victoria, which seems to have red wine in it, and it's a very nice Yes, I do wine. think it is the parliamentary Shiraz. It's definitely yes. a Shiraz, yes. and it's definitely very nice indeed. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Well, we were going to do this in a pub, so yes. it did only seem right that we should have a drink in our hand. This is exactly true. Now, I know you're a big fan of science. I mean, that's in the name of the party, Ooh. right? The Reason Ooh. Party. And we spoke about this last time. And there is yeah. a link to the wonderful pub conversation yes, we had last it time. it was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> with Ubali Divisekra, the science communicator, and, and she's got her PhD now, I believe. Oh, so Doctor. Doctor Divisekra. Uh, and Sally White, who uh, she was then with Crikey. She's now that's with the Canberra right. Times. Yes. Uh, and doing fabulous work. And that was, it was a good episode. But... We talked about science, and I'm jumping around in my notes mm. here a bit, as I thought we might. That's uh, inevitable. Are we heading to this strange conservative age? I mean, we're getting more anti-science, and we see that in the whole climate change debate at the federal level, certainly. Mm. Uh, we also see the shenanigans in the New South Wales upper house with the abortion yes. thing finally decriminalised, but only after every conservative politician tried to filibuster That's right. the whole thing. Uh, we're seeing, of course, the, that being tightened up in the US as well under the Trump regime. Mm. We've got the Federal Religious Freedom Bill, which is means freedom for them and not for others. That's right. It, it, is, it is exactly that. It is... You know, the right to discriminate if you are religious. Hmm. It's How a very do you accurate feel about name. That? I mean, you, you're... Oh, I'm absolutely appalled. And, and I think, you know, although I'm, I'm, I am the optimist of all optimists, you and are. I sometimes look at these debates and think 
This is their last hurrah, isn't it? They really are. They've lost the war. They're just... Which, which war is this? Well, the I think they've lost. I think they've lost the war of reason. Um, that that science has overtaken religion um, in 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 people having faith in it. And I actually think people have far more faith now in the scientists than well, the general population, mm. let's say, than they do in their religious leaders. And yet, like a plant, when it's, you know, it's being strangled to death or it's about to die, that's when it will inevitably flower and let off as much seed as it can to keep spreading. And I sort of feel like what's going on at the moment is this sort of desperate last gasps of, from these organisations. I mean, you look at the Catholic Church, um, you know, desperately trying to think how, how can we survive um, past 2030. You know, they're not worried about climate change because they won't exist as a church um, over the next few years. Their, their congregations are plummeting. Um, even those that still tick the box on the census of being Catholic don't attend church. They haven't been to a church. That's right. They don't, you know, contribute to the, the, the beer mouth, the, the organisation. So I think they can, they, I think they can see... You know, I'm sounding very optimistic, but I can think they can see some of their uh, some of their ends. On on the other side, that makes me less happy is probably that evangelical religious, and we've you know Pentecostal religion, where we now have a Pentecostal prime minister who does believe in speaking in tongues, um, you know, does believe in the sort of those spirits physically entering their body, and you know doing things and curing them and miracles and all those things. And Armageddon and all of, of that. Yes. Uh, I've been surprised we haven't heard more of Armageddon, what with the locusts. Um, I mean, we've joked about that. We've had the fires, we've had the floods, we've got coronavirus coming through. And we've got the locusts. Have you got locusts down here? Not here, but the world does. I mean, you yes. look at some of the, the biggest locust swarms that I think the world has ever seen are occurring right now in Africa. And they're serious locust... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, right. Sci-fi could not make this shit up. Well, that's, that's nice and happy so then. It is nice. It is. However, as you say, you know, the abortion debate and everyone trying to use science as the reason for their opposition. But it wasn't, it was religion. And we've, you know, we had the assisted dying legislation here and all of them talking, trying to talk reasonably, saying, well, it's a slippery slope and I'm concerned that the science isn't right. I mean, how can you diagnose someone for six months and all of these sorts of things, when you know it was their religion and their, their own faith that, that was um, forcing them to, to oppose these these, law, these these laws that have you know, 80 to 90% support in the general population. Uh, and yet, I know a young guy who's just literally in the last few days as we record this mm. was ordained as a Catholic priest. Now, he is... Shall we say a bit a bit to the left of most <laughs> of most people we think of as Catholics? Um, we catch up for beers occasionally, and he's yeah. he's very much of the view that 
well, if we're going to change it, we need to change it. We can't run away from it. The yep. institution's there. He yep. has his faith in yep. the creator and uh, he actually seems to to listen to some of the words that Jesus bloke said, who yes. said some wonderful Didn't he? things. Didn't he? I um, I get chastised in this place quite often when I my interjection is, what would Jesus do? Ooh. I know, that's right. Certainly don't like hearing that, do they? Certainly don't like asking themselves that question. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So, <laughs> and, and look, if, if people find... I'm always reminded of, of something that I think some early Taoists said in China. Yeah. They're getting the religion going. This is you know, a couple of thousand years or mm. more ago. Um, and there was a thought about, you know, gods. And one of the, the early Taoist writers said, well, if you find gods useful, by all means, have them. Yeah, that's... You know, if, well, if this is a mental framework which allows you to understand these issues and you, I suppose, want to anthropomorphise, uh, then, then fine. That's um, right. and, and if you, you have trouble understanding why there are evil people in the world, in the broader sense of that mm. word... Uh, then, then if you in your head you can go well, there are just evil people, and yeah. they they are possessed by yeah. Satan or or the god of death or yeah. whatever it might be. Or if you didn't know why the sun came up in the morning and why the moon, um, you hmm. know, changed shape over the course of a month, you could you could yeah you could use a god to explain yeah. that. Now um, we don't necessarily need a god to explain that. But Most no, of God, us. exactly. Gods have become about, well, how did the world start in the first place? You go, oh, the Big Bang. And so, yeah, yeah, but how? Where, where, what, why, why, you know, why is any of this happening? And that's that's a question that's not for mm. science. That's a question for philosophy, maybe. And Yeah. I, and and I I'm happy with that. I'm really happy with that. And I'm, I'm happy that we, you know, I'm happy to accept that we don't know everything. Mm. Um, I'm very happy to accept that. That's the uh, thing, that's, as we get older, we realise how little we know, or that, at least yeah. those of us with a brain do, and there are, of course, other people who, I don't know, get on the wireless yeah. and think they know everything, or I know. television. Or... It, it's the unfortunate side effect of learning more things, isn't it? You then start <laughs> to realise just how much you don't know as, as you learn a, a smattering about a lot of things. But I, I, I guess that does go back to, I think, you know, that point of why... Um, why I think we are seeing that downturn in religion, why we are seeing, you know, over, like over a quarter of Australians now tick the box that they have absolutely no religion. Mm. Um, and then you've, and then less than 10% of people in Australia um, uh, focus on their religion in a daily part of their lives. It's, it's, not, it's not considered an important part of their life. And yet we see this whole... Oh, oh my God, the Muslims are taking over. But if you actually have Muslim <laughs> friends, you realise some of them are very bad Muslims indeed, in very the same bad. sense that some Christians <laughs> are very bad Christians. You know, I mean, I know yeah. Muslims, so I think the last time they saw the inside of a mosque was probably when they were a kid. You yeah, know? and I've always liked that about Judaism, where you know, I've got I've got atheist Jewish friends who say, "Well, no, I'm a cultural Jew." Yeah, you know, I don't believe in. God, or I don't, you know, I have no belief in a superpower or some, you know, person in the sky directing, directing what's happening on Earth. Um, but I'm Jewish. Yeah. I, I, again, I know, you know, Jews who 
love their bacon sandwich or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> muslims mm-hmm. who don't mind a sly beer mm-hmm. every or maybe not even sly it's not even sly and i um yeah. again at the conference i was at this week with people from all around the world and you know i did speak speak to some people from from majority muslim countries who appreciate this but like our our brothers and sisters in lebanon they don't mind a bit of wine every now and then or yes whatever it might be yeah. it's a broad church it's a broad we. church and so it should be and and i think you know that's probably one of the the issues that we should allow that you know we're and because we keep talking about the need for religious freedom and the, the need to protect religion, um, sometimes As if it's from under attack, religion. But it's not under attack. No, you know, frankly, I suspect, you know, if, if we look back at past deeds, we would say that the public needs protecting from religion, not the other certain way religions. around. Yeah, certain, certain religions. Bits of certain religion. Exactly. Yeah. Do you reckon that there's some talk that there's a, ge- a religious gene? that some people have um, a propensity to believe in, uh, to be religious. To be religious, perhaps broader supernatural things. I have heard that. Uh, You know, and and that... I'll look that up. I'll put a link in the podcast webpage for that because I have heard that as a thing. Because I just don't get it, you know, and I I hear the, the kindest, nicest people talking about their, you know, their belief in their religion, and I... I just, it's like trying to understand, it's, it's foreign to me. I, I can't understand what that feeling is. There is some research done into uh, the fact, it seems to be now, that some people are more prone uh, to believe what the researchers called pseudo-profound bullshit. <laughs> so, so the... the <laughs> They, they, they actually wrote a kind of random speech generator which generated statements that sort of sounded like they were from Deepak Chopper or something, but were just bullshit. And, and, and just got people to, you know... Don't give me tick your the bo- PPB. You know. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and uh, look, yeah, some people were more vulnerable to that than others. Mm. They, they thought, oh, that sounds wonderful, you know. Like, stuff like every day is a new day or a new morning or something like that. Yes. Yes, that's right. I know. The sun's done another (laughs) turn around the world. So on the the reason thing, I mean, you you, you changed the name of the party to the reason party uh, before the the last election was 2018, the last state election, and you changed in 2017, according to Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia, that's just about right. Um, it, the process... And it was the Australian Sex Party. Mm. So, first of all, why? Look, I... Because people weren't voting for the Sex Party. They oh, okay. had... We, in 2016, at that federal election, uh, particularly in Victoria... That's the federal election in 2016. That's right. right? The federal election in 2016, we Which had... was the one Malcolm Turnbull managed to not lose. Yes, the one <laughs> that he managed to not lose. And we, um, we had some very fine candidates at that election. We had done quite a lot of work in Victoria. So we were... You know, I was a lot better known in 2016 than I was in 2014, and we'd 
you know, done work on safe access zones around abortion clinics. We'd led the charge on voluntary assisted dying. Um, we'd led the charge on Uber. Now we I'll had, come back to Uber. We had been doing so, so many different things. Um, our recognition was right up there and our vote went down. And I thought that protest vote that we... So we, we had the people who loved what we did and supported us for that. So you said protest vote. Was it a protest vote or a novelty vote? I... Because of the name. I think that the, the, the novelty of, of the name engaged people. Mm. And that was the, the good side of that name, that people went, what the hell is that? And then looked at our policies and went, oh, right, that's what that is. <laughs> that's, I'm good with that. And we- All the things we've just spoken about. That's right. So yeah, reason, evidence, uh, civil liberties, all of those things. And people voted us to, uh, for us for that reason. There was the other voter that just said, a pox on all your houses, mm -hmm. I like sex, I'm voting for sex. And by 2016, there was many other parties that they could um, send that protest vote via. So we, th the field grew for that part of our vote and we, we saw that in that election and, you know, and, and really pushing the sex party, it's challenging. You know, and it challenged people, and that was what I loved about it. But also for other people... Your eyes sparkle as you yeah, say that. Right. You, you've always liked causing a bit of... Uh, stirring the possum. Stirring the possum. And, it, you know, wearing a, a bright yellow T-shirt at 7am in the morning with sex emblazoned on it, you know, down at train stations to encourage people to vote, um, you know, is not for everyone, mm. I'm afraid. And... You know, we, but I, I think we did what we could. And if we wanted to continue to grow and to continue to provide that voice, that voice of reason and continue to provide um, the voice on the, the policies and on the um, beliefs, beliefs that we had, then we were going to have to change. And it was, it was long, it was not a easy process, you know, in fact, calling yourself the sex party may have seemed like a difficult thing to do, but trying to change yourself from the sex party was incredibly difficult. So do you have to dissolve the party and reconstitute it, or can you just change the it, name? It, it, it varied. We, we did it in, in different ways in different places, but um, it, it, was, it was a pretty big change in our constitution. It was, but it wasn't really a giant step in where our belief system was, where our philosophy was. That didn't change substantially. And, and it depended in what um, jurisdiction you were in as to whether you um, folded one party and, and turned into another. But for the most part, we, we went through a constitutional change with our membership and the Electoral Commission accepted the, 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 the change in, in name. Um, but it, and it worked for the vote. It did. It you know it, it it did work. We did increase our vote at the last state election. But again, you know, sex really does um, shine out on a on a on a ballot. And sadly, um, even though it should, 
uh, reason is not so shiny and not and does not um, yeah is not quite the beacon for people mm. looking for an alternative. I hope that changes. As you know, we we really effectively changed in 17 and we went to the election in 2018. So it was a pretty quick um, amount of time for a small party to get itself known. And certainly more than once did I find myself saying, we used to be the sex party when I was out in the outer suburbs. And they go, oh, the oh well, oh no, we love the sex party. Oh, why'd you do that? Where if I'm in inner city Melbourne or inner city Sydney, people go, oh, very nice, much nicer, much nicer, <laughs> much nicer, much prefer. You've got the personal profile now, though, of course. That- uh, you know, I, I saw you also go in on, and do, you know, 3AW talkback radio from mm-hmm. time to time, which is very much the lion's den. I mean, you can't get much more conservative in the media no, in Australia no. than that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's good for my ego, um, as in... You know, not letting it on the radio. Yeah, not letting it get too you know too ahead of itself. Uh, I go on. I go on Neil Mitchell every every three or four weeks, and get yelled at. Right. And get told what an idiot I am. So Neil Neil has stopped saying it. He just lets the callers do it, and um, it doesn't matter sometimes they ring me and say i can't believe i'm saying this but i agree with you uh, but more often than not it's you know doesn't you know they they call up to to tell me what an idiot i am that's that's really the function of a <laughs> that's thing, right, isn't know. it fiona Patton, we've been talking for a little while here i need to take a break a to uh, do some housekeeping, but B, to kind of refresh my head on what else there is to talk about. There's so much, so let's take a break. (laughs) Indeed. I hope you're enjoying this. We uh, obviously had a bit of a rambling conversation, uh, being acquaintances, I dare say friends who go way back. There's more to go. Uh, This podcast, as you know, is made possible by you, the generous listeners. But while it's thank you, as always, to all you regulars, I really do appreciate it. Uh, Since the last episode, there's no one new to thank. So it would be great if you could fix that right now. Yes, right now. Go to stillgarian.com slash tip, stillgarian.com slash tip, or subscribe for extra benefits, uh, skank.com.au slash subscribe skank.com.au slash subscribe if you do that there are special benefits and I know I've said that for a bit but there's a bit of this podcast which you won't hear now but will only be available to supporters past and present uh, and those who join now uh, in about a week's time. So stillgarian.com slash tip or uh, skank.com.au slash subscribe. Back to Parliament House. Here we are still in the uh, the members' room mm. at uh, Parliament House, Victoria. Uh, and Ms. Patton and I seem to have refilled our wine glasses uh, yes, thanks to I... a lovely young man who noticed that 
they seem to have a hole in them. That's right. That's right. I mean, that hole has got some good purposes. Unfortunately, it's where the wine goes out, but it's also where the wine, <laughs> wine goes, goes in. in, and so that's what we like. That's right. Very handy. So since we have wine, we should talk about drugs. Yes. <laughs> now, wine is, of course, legal, as are all the alcoholic beverages. Um, but Fiona, you've, you've been doing a lot of work, particularly with cannabis mm. recently, and the injecting rooms, which we'll come back to. But yes. Cannabis. In fact, there is an inquiry you've yes. got up. Yes. So, almost to my surprise, I put. I was going to ask that because okay, well, let's roll yeah. back. What what is the proposal yeah. you put up? So, I decided that it was time for Victoria to have a conversation on how we can best keep cannabis out of the hands of criminals and children. Right. And. I think it's a question that, much to my surprise, everyone agreed. That is a good question to ask. And it's also the question... That's interesting framing, mm. because the, the unwritten part, of course, or the unspoken part is not mentioning adults having it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And that's exactly right. Now, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. The police in Victoria... Um, suggest that it's you know it's it's probably around two billion dollars for the cannabis annual annual cannabis industry turnover in Victoria. So that is two billion dollars that goes into the black market. That is two billion dollars that quite often ends up in organised crime. That is two billion dollars that quite often goes to provide the deposits for large importations of other substances such as methamphetamine coming into this country. Uh, it's been linked to the purchase of guns. It's been linked to terrorism. So I ask that simple so question. The, I, will, I will say though, I mean, some people go, yeah, everything ends up being linked with terrorism, police, state, mm. blah, blah, blah. But in this case, it kind of is, isn't it? It kind of is. And because, you know, more young people use cannabis than tobacco currently. So I think the rate of, ca of tobacco use now is sitting just under 11%. And that's people who've used tobacco in the last 12 months. And that's people... That's astoundingly low. Again, I mean, I, I mean you're still young and, and vibrant, but, you know, an old bloke like me thinks... That was, you know, most people smoked, or that That's was the right. feeling. And we grew out of it. Mm. Um, so this is young people... Oh, I'm thinking most people smoked tobacco back in the day is what I was thinking of, but... Yes, I was yes, too. Yes, yes, we yeah, were no, both definitely talking... Yeah. We were just talking tobacco because <laughs> that's what I was talking about. 11% of young people report using tobacco in the last 12 months. Oh, yes. Or no, no, no. But what I mean is the... 5% we'll report using cannabis in the last 12 months so almost three times the number of young people are using cannabis than they are using tobacco and I would suggest that is because we control its sale we educate people about its dangers we regulate the sale um, who it's sold to how it's sold where it's sold and how much it's sold for now I'm going to disagree with you mm. that this is the first time that an Australian parliament has looked at marijuana. 
because in 1979 the South Australian Parliament had a Royal Commission into the non-medical use of drugs. And it was intended to be all about illegal drugs, but the Royal Commissioner read it literally and said, well, the non-medical use, so that also includes alcohol and tobacco, so I need to roll that into this discussion as well. Now, two things came out of that. One was, uh, and this was before we, we understood marijuana and psychosis, mm. which we've only understood uh, in more recent years as the strength of marijuana uh, became so much higher thanks to Dutch plant breeders. Okay, that's another story. Yes. But at the time, they, they had the quite reasonable observation uh, that marijuana was safer than a whole bunch of other things, and yet there was a whole bunch of things that were legal which were more dangerous, and why? Mm. So there was that question. Also at the time, the uh, less strong marijuana of the time in 1979, the standard price was $30 an ounce, and the Royal Commissioner noted, but the production cost is only $1 an ounce, and the next sentence I love, this leaves considerable scope for taxation. Oh, I'm going to find... I Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I will be looking looking forward that forward to finding that. We, I, I think... I mean, other, some of the medical stuff is now out of date. Let's be clear. It's... Yeah. What's that? 30 years ago. Yes. 30 plus years ago. Yes. So 40. 40. Oh, God. 79. 40 years ago. So, yeah. Um, can I say that the, the first... Um, it was set up by Don Dunstan yeah, as Premier of, of South course, Australia, as you, you can know, imagine. The most fabulous Premier that... Um, we had. But it was tabled after he yeah. retired sick. Uh, and then the new Premier sort of... There was actually... They actually did a live press conference on television back then when it was tabled. And the new Premier said, oh, and we thank the Royal Commissioner for his time. And the journalist goes, so so what happens now? And he said, well, you know, it's, it's very good work. And thank, thank you to the Royal Commissioner for his well, time. Well, I will make this my mission to, to revisit those, those recommendations and to revisit that. Uh, and... Look, I, I think there was an honest, there was a held belief in the 70s that cannabis would be legalised. Well, we it was decriminalised personal possession in South Australia well, for Well, and the ACT. And the know. ACT. And even after that, the, the South Australian police and had in a, WA, an actually. enormous... And in Northern Territory. Yes. Yeah. And But I remember the South Australian police having enormous leeway that if they just found someone smoking yeah. a joint in a car or something, then they'd just take yeah. their dope, they'd, they'd empty the bag into the leaves in the gutter in the street and stir it round a bit and say, that's, smoke at home, lads, smoke at home. That's right. Uh, so I'm told. Yes, I've <laughs> certainly um, heard similar stories, mm. heard them. We had a former Prime Minister head up the normal, which is that... Which National was Organisation for Marijuana Law Reform. That's exactly, or reform... Well, reform of marijuana, marijuana laws, laws normal, That's or, right. Yeah. We had a former Prime Minister um, become one, the patron of that. Was that Keating? No, Gorton. Gorton? Yes. That's how far back it was. And also how interested it was, because he was a Conservative Prime Minister. Correct. Well, he was a Liberal, you know. Maybe not conservative. <laughs> that, yes, yeah. that, was, that was back. <laughs> Those were then days that, when liberals didn't necessarily mean conservative, but mm. socially conservative. That is. Um, so there was there was. A, I think that royal commission really picked up the vibe of the time that we just thought that that's where we were going to go, and in actual fact, we've gone backwards. And even in the ACT, where we decriminalised cannabis back in the early nineties, and 
you can grow five plants and you know possess a certain amount and fifty dollar fine if you're caught in possession or use of it and now you know so weirdly they have legalized it and it is now you can only grow two plants you can only grow them if you have a back garden you can't smoke it in public and you can't you can be in, you can only be in possession of a far smaller quantity so in fact decriminalization was a far more uh, 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 far more liberal piece of legislation than the legalization of it um, which I know it's I I find the these nuances fascinating so do I be careful what you wish for <laughs> as they say which is so this was why I was asking this question on cannabis like how do you keep it out of the hands of criminals and children and how do we regulate that and much to my surprise there was no objection to a to a parliament inquiry into that into that asking that question what what are other jurisdictions doing? How are they dealing with it? And it's exactly the question that Trudeau asked in Canada that resulted in the national legalisation of cannabis um, some, what, four years ago. It's, it's remarkable. I will say, yes, if you just want to pause and sip your wine, I'll let it out the gaps. Just like that one. Of course, you've been looking at so many other drug-related issues, and it's it's an amazing contrast, shall we say, to what's happening in in New South Wales, where mm. I come from, where uh, the New South Wales Police. It was recently revealed they actually have a quota for how many people they're going to strip search for drugs, ah. which means the the criteria are getting lighter and lighter. And we already know that what is it, eighty percent of sniffer dog things yes. are false positive uh you know pill testing is a no uh our premier Gladys Berejiklian is is so to me I think so clearly anti-drugs and anti any liberalization of drug laws that is there some personal thing in her experience in her family in her circle of friends that she comes down so hard on this I mean maybe that, that I don't know that's a you could take that yeah. as a comment but We've, we've really, you know, got a, a, that from the Premier and, and both the police minister and the, the commissioner of police are really hard on this. I, I, I do, I think it's deeper than that. And certainly politics is always personal. And we know that, you know, and I hate to say it, but if, if Gladys's niece or next door neighbour uh, had an adverse reaction to a substance that they'd taken at a festival ended up with an acquired brain injury at best dead at worst um, would would we see though would we see her take a new perspective on this because when you speak to the people that it matters the most to which is young people whose friends are using substances whose friends are experimenting when you speak to the parents whose children are no longer with them that those are the people who vehemently support changes like drug checking, changes like supervised injecting rooms. Um, Which have been very successful in the cities that have them. They save people's lives. 
They exactly. save people's lives, they provide an intervention, and hopefully from that, inter that compassionate intervention, a pathway to other forms of assistance, whether, you know, to, to get those people onto a path of recovery. So, but what I think it is, is the police, they see this as failure. They see mm. this as we're saying that they failed. And we've got to change that mindset. We've got to change how they perceive what drug checking is. Uh, because really it's, as you and I know, it's a harm minimization. Um, well, yes, um, uh, and as you know, I worked uh, for the AIDS Council of South Australia yeah. for a period. Um, we, we had one of the reasons Australia has such a low HIV infection rate by world standards right. is that it was driven from the federal level Absolutely. with a harm minimisation program, five-year rolling budgets. Yep. Um, um, as and you yes, know, we, federally we, and state We had needle funding. exchanges set up. We had, yep. you know, a whole lot of things set up yep. that that there were informal shooting galleries set up and we had someone who drove a beat-up old Valiant to go and deliver a fresh batch of sharps and take away the sharps containers. Yes. And the wonderful thing is she was taking away more used needles than she was delivering. Yeah. We were pulling the dirty needles out yeah. of the community. Yeah. We had the agreement like police, no, you're not allowed to follow her. That's right. That was the agreement. That's She'll go right. out and do her thing. Yeah. And we understood that in the 90s. And, yeah. and I think we've, we've lost that a lot. And, you know, I've, I've heard, and I, I don't think I've spoken about this publicly, but I have had a number of senior police and senior members of parliament, including ministers, say to me, but Fiona, like, not many people die at festivals. You know, like, it's, it's really, if they can afford to go to a festival, then they're kind of a middle class, person that should know better in some ways or um, are likely to already be well educated on uh, drug use which is absolute bollocks and it's not true and it's frightening that that's what we're hearing that that's that 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 kind of argument well you know not many people die there anyway so why should we why should we provide drug checking there uh, my counter to that would be well then provide a fixed location where people um, can get their drugs checked 365 days a year, not just at a festival. Um, I mean, festivals are obviously the place, yeah. I mean, the kind of thing where someone is going to try for the first time. That's right. And, and I know that this is, there's a lot of sciencey people here, but that machine that goes ping, that does the, the you know, the analysis of the substance and is great but to me I see that as a loss leader like that gets that gets the young person into the tent the real magic is when you speak to that young person about the effects of that drug about the the effects that that drug will have if you know if you have it with alcohol if you have it with other drugs you know are you thinking about having ketamine are you know are you thinking about having alcohol have you had much alcohol do you know that if you have this with alcohol here's the here's the reaction that your body goes through and the engagement that you see with young people that are just this is the first time that they can have this 
really honest conversation about drug use and about drugs um, with anyone. And, and with someone who's not going to judge them for it, just going to say, hey, this is what you do. And it happens to be a doctor. So it ha- or, or, a med- or a professional, it happens to be someone who knows what they're talking about. It's not, their, it's not the dealer and it's not their friend who got their information from another friend and another friend and another friend. So here is this amazing health intervention that we are able to provide. And that's what we've seen in every other jurisdiction. And it's the same with the supervised injecting room. We give them a safe place to use, but more importantly, we tell someone that we care and we tell someone that when they're ready to make a change, that we're here and they've come in the right door. You are clearly very passionate about it. <laughs> what drives that passion? I, I, look, I think, you know, we're, we started in that HIV time. Yeah. That's true. You know, you and I probably got political in those early 90s, in those late 80s, well, probably late 80s, wasn't it? Late 80s when... When we were in primary school. When we were in primary school. <laughs> and that's right, when we were in primary school. And, but we saw our friends dying. We saw, sure. you know, we saw the effects of needle exchanges. We saw how harm minimisation worked. I mean, we got it at that very organic level, and I still have that. And, and I still see that it, the effects, I still I see the science, I see the research, I see that this just makes sense, that there, I mean, you're right. The the, evidence back is then we there. knew this. Back then we knew this. That's right. There was research done. There was... Yep sociological work done at Macquarie University which talked about how if you're targeting gay and lesbian folks you have to do it differently in the other cities than from Sydney because perceptions of what was normal behaviour in Sydney was much more sexualised and that in Adelaide and and Perth was much more about finding a a steady partner and settling down and and so the posters had to be different I mean we we actually did that stuff we did and we were so brave at that time and the and parliaments and governments were brave you know the fact that we had bipartisan support for For a national HIV AIDS program yeah you know mind you our health minister at that stage was a doctor yes and was our opposition health minute health Opposition health spokesman. I think he blew it. Neil Blewett Blewett. was the doctor. Neil Blewett was the doctor. And and Bohm was the um Oh It was Bohm and Blewett, wasn't it? I think. Anyway, we had two we had an opposition health spokesperson and a health minister who were in lockstep on this. It was bipartisan. And every state jumped on board. And we've lost We've lost some of that. We're, we're kind of going back to the just say no um, well, approach. that's certainly the case in New South Wales. And, you know, they say we can't arrest our way out of this issue, but and they yet, keep trying. And yet there are experienced and intelligent people who once they're outside and have retired, I'm thinking of Roman Quaidvlick, mm-hmm. who was head of Australian Border Force mm-hmm. and had to leave that under... Look under a cloud of a mm-hmm. little bit of corruption, but it was about jobs for the girls. Yes, yes. Um, a girl. A girl. I mean, you know, corruption on a scale of one to ten, it's about a two. 
Yes. But he's now very vocal about what, why are we doing this? You know, That's we're fine. spending billions of dollars. Mm. It's, it's not going to work. And he says quite publicly that if people either want to consume something for the fun or consume something to escape from whatever bad things are happening, mm. that's going to happen and there will be a market to provide that that's for right. them. It's there. That's right. And we and know that gotta people have it. wanted to adjust their reality through one way or another, whether it's coffee, whether it's alcohol, whether it's tobacco, whether it's peyote, whether it's magic yeah. mushrooms, since time began. You tell people that their little pot of coffee is their little daily pot of addictive alkaloid oh, stimulants, and absolutely. they go, what, what are you saying? Oh. You should read some of the protests about coffee shops and trying to, and the prohibition on coffee shops. And in London in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, or actually just before that, the Age of right, Enlightenment. The Age of Enlightenment. And you would think that they were talking about the Amsterdam... Um, hash cafes yes. in the way that they spoke about the insidious nature of this drug that people were being drawn to in these places but inevitably you know inevitably science will change this and we saw this some years ago when you know science started providing um, products that were um, analogues of cannabis that affected the CB the CBD, the, the cannabinoid receptors in our body. And you started to see the names escape me of all of these really awful um, products that were coming out into the market that weren't actually affecting your cannabinoid receptors, ended up your nervous system, your respiratory system, as a way of providing um, a psychoactive experience. And they were really hideous drugs. And we're now seeing it with you know with other analogues of, of heroin we'll we will science is you know we're and always analogues of mdma and analogues absolutely of everything and of well if you can have an analogue of lsd but i i think you can but so you know we look for any drug with an indole ring in it that's the that's trick. right and these and which some we happen to both know for some reason that, yes <laughs> um and people are so Prohibition doesn't work, and, and science has proved, everything has proven that. Our natural instinct for to, to have, uh, to escape our, our reality, um, and now science that can now create different ways of um, providing that chemical holiday it, that sits outside legislation. That'd be a great band name, Chemical Holiday. I'm sure. <laughs> Are we going to... Look, I have to prevent us sort of gossiping here all afternoon. I want to come back to ask you about Uber because you were instrumental yeah. in Uber and other ride-sharing services um, operating in Victoria. Yes. How do you reconcile that with their appalling record on managing their workforce? And I guess the same goes for food delivery services. Uh, Melbourne activist Asha Wolf has done a lot of work on that about mm. how... Uh, all of those young people on bicycles delivering your food are, I'm going to say, exploited. Mm. I look. I I don't think I can resolve that. What, however, I would say that taxi drivers were not getting that good a deal. Oh no no no! I'm I'm all so, for the fact that the taxi industry 
was terrible around the world you look at the cities anywhere yeah. in the world there were reasons why the taxi industry was bad uh in many cities it was corrupt as all fuck mm. and without pointing at anything in australia yes but something needed to be done the problem i think happened is something needed to be done here is a something run by those yeah. wide boys from california and we did it and i th- when i look at what what i and i don't to- want to pick let me just say, I don't want to pick on Uber in particular no. there. It's the whole idea of what is positively called the gig economy. Yeah. The gig economy. But in reality is the most appalling pre-industrial revolution or industrial revolution piecework. Yeah. Pre-union piecework. We have a long way to go. But the, the fact that, that, that Uber and other ride-sharing services um, came into existence... And in many ways, they were operating and the, pe- the drivers were operating in a very uncertain legal situation. Mm. You know, and, and here in Melbourne, Uber, I know, was paying their fines because they were operating without a taxi licence. And, and $3,000 yeah, fine, Uber would just pay that. that. That's all very well. However, had they been in an accident or had there been something more dire occur, where would the driver have sat in in that well their insurance would have been void for starters correct correct so it was actually i think trying to to provide some protection and what we what i tried to do and the the final the final legislation that came into victoria was very different to my initial bill which was about recognizing the platform it was about and recognizing an a platform um in legislation is not easy and in fact when I was working with the the legislative drafters it was the first time they'd had to try and define what a platform was and to to put to introduce legislation that put responsibility onto the owner of a platform um, was the first time that they had had to work out how they could do that because it wasn't putting it onto an entity. It was at, because they couldn't, they couldn't attach it to the entity. They just had to say that if you provide this platform, then you have a responsibility to what's on your platform. That meant you had a responsibility that the driver was not a serial rapist. You had a responsibility that the car they were driving was adequate and was roadworthy and that the person was roadworthy and that that person wasn't driving 20 hours a day which we knew taxi drivers were doing that so to develop a kind of a way to regulate that platform was was quite different and and I look I had many arguments with many taxi drivers over that and I can tell you now I still shudder if I get into a taxi (laughs) uh, because I've had many lectures uh, in taxis but you know, their, their response to that was, we'll turn off the internet. And we can't turn off the internet, the same as Deliveroo, all of those services. Mm. We can't turn it off, but what we can do is look at how we can ensure that those people are working safely, are getting paid uh, properly. And, you know, that, that, I think that's our next big um, workplace uh, evolution. 
and and our or revol- I think it'll be an evolution, not a revolution, but it will be how do we look at this? And this might be looking at this might be back to kind of you know the work cover. I mean, it might be going back to some really basics of how do we ensure that those people working in that so-called gig economy work safely and are paid, you know, for what they do. For a living wage, exactly and that. And paid a living wage. And it's a, it's, it, it's, it, it offers exciting opportunities in, in this, in Parliament as to how we do that. You're being an optimist again. I know, look at me. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Speaking of uh, one time you're optimistic, when we last spoke in a podcast, it was only a few days before the US elections in 2016, and you were quite adamant that Donald Trump would not win. Do you now feel like a goose? Yes, I do feel like a goose. I I let my optimism get ahead of my head. Because I'd call it like a year out for that, and not just me. I mean, I know. many observers I did. I know. But I know. no you one in right. that podcast that day thought it was going to happen except no. for me. And I know. Yes. You were right, and I was wrong. No, that, that wasn't why I asked. <laughs> no, that's that because uh, I'm always happy to be wrong with something like that. Trust me. What are our lessons from that? Do you think? You're going to have another sip of wine to ponder uh, your answer to that beforehand. In fact, I recommend it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I I need to to possibly not overestimate people uh that Uh is that is a very bad thing to say and i probably should have thought about that more i i do think that i yeah i i didn't think anyone in their right mind but you know what i remember actually my friends going over to america in the ronald reagan campaign i was going oh come on who would it who would ever vote for a b-grade cowboy actor like that's just ridiculous and yet he ended the cold war and yet he ended the cold war and he ended up doing good trump has not done that trump is you know trump is a reality tv star and who has continued to perform like a reality tv star throughout his term and sadly um i am fearful that regardless you know it was certainly you know if bernie sanders um wins which i think he will and i think he's he's got some brilliant policies um he's a 78 year old man 78 year old white man um running against a 76 year old or 77 year old white man uh sadly yeah neither of these men are prepared for the world of even the near future i don't even think they're going to live into the near future so no no donald trump's got the best health remember his doctor said so and we've seen photographs of his doctor i i i am fearful that um that that bernie sanders will not win the hearts and minds of enough americans to to knock trump off his perch uh he's a socialist they'll say he's a socialist they'll say and as he says he's also 78 so he would be if he was to run two terms he would be 86 yeah not gonna happen and i i feel sorry for a country that would have to would be relying on that and i know i mean i'm an independent in a state parliament i know the grueling 
hours and the energy that you need to be an effective legislature. Well, look, legislator. At any, look at any picture of a US president before, during, and then again after. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the, or an Australian Prime Minister. If you're passionate about this work, then this is a really big job. And it takes, you know, so for someone at that age to have the energy to do it, um, I think is... But good if they do. Good if they do, but I think it's impossible. I just think physiology does not allow a 78-year-old person to have the energy to, to do this and to do it until you're 86 or 87, you know, like that to me is a really big ask of a person and I, I I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sad that that's going to be the options that are going to be before the, the US elections and you know there's no doubt that you know whatever happens over there will affect us in, in many many ways and probably even in some unconceivable ways. And to wrap up, I'm going to steal... Okay, uh, British comedian Richard Herring, who does a mm -hmm. regular podcast interviewing other comedians and sometimes other famous people. It's excellent. He's blocked me on Twitter, and I won't go into that just now, but <laughs> he has a book called Emergency Questions, which oh. has a thousand questions, and you can just dive into it. And some of them are like, you know, have you seen a ghost? Yes or no, quickly. No. Okay. Because they don't exist, right? Because they don't exist, okay. yeah. But one that he's been using, like, he's got the whole book, Emergency Questions, it's got a thousand questions in it, and some of them are weird. This is one he's been using a bit recently, which I love. If you could take one thing from a museum or art gallery anywhere in the world, and it's yours to keep, oh. anything, what would it be? Oh, wow. So many things I'd like. <laughs> but actually, I'd like a dinosaur. Yeah? Yeah. I'd, I'd like, maybe not like the biggest dinosaur. Are we, we're I, talking skeleton or live? Or, no, there are no, live just, no, I like the skeletons. I okay. really like the skeletons. I actually have a piece of petrified turtle shit from Madagascar. That's 2000 years old and um, but I just adore looking at those prehistoric skeletons and I yeah I mean I'd, I'd have to be very rich to have it wouldn't fit in my house right now, I can tell you okay, that. Okay, so maybe we, the question has to be and you and get could a gallery fit in, in my which house. to put it. And, okay. Oh no no no! We can we can. Oh, and have a gallery. There would be some works of art that, um, like Mogdiliani, some of his work, uh. I absolutely adore and could look at forever. So there would be some of his paintings I would love. Um, but frankly, it's the still dinosaur. like a dinosaur. Well, I will throw in very quickly because I haven't mentioned this to people. Uh, a, a friend, Marty Pfeiffer, in uh, University of New Mexico, he sent me a piece of Trinitite, which is from the very first atomic bomb, Trinity, <gasps> exploded in the desert. It's the sand that's been vaporised, thrown up as fallout, and come wow. back as little green glass with bubbles in it. 
Oh, that's beautiful. And yes, created in the very first atomic bomb. Actually, I I have um, a piece of uh, lava from the 18th century. Sorry, from the 19th century. um, From Vesuvius. No. Krakatoa? No. No. Vesuvius? Pompeii? From Pompeii. It's like in a Victorian... Victorian morning ring, but it's actually a piece of lava from Pompeii. Um, This is illustrating a a kind of certain dark side to both of us. I think I think think we'd better wrap up this this recording while we're here. Fiona Patton, MLC, thank you again. Thank you, Stilgarian. Thanks for the wine. Thank you, and thank you for the conversation. And I'm sure everybody else enjoyed it as well. Well, that's all the edict for now. Thank you very much to Fiona Patton, MLC. Good to catch up again. Thank you very much to the staff of uh, Parliament House Victoria in Melbourne. That was lovely. If you want to support this podcast, you know what to do. Stilgarian.com slash tip or skank.com.au slash subscribe. Stilgarian.com.au slash tip. Yeah, do that. Go there now. Uh, The next episode of this podcast will be when I get around to it. Till then, bye. Oh, I'm Stilgarian. You knew that. See ya. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.